Hello, and welcome to Grain Insight, a CN update on getting your grain to market. I'm Stacy McCracken, and joining me is David Chednovic, Director of Sales and Marketing. David, CN's acquisition of the Elgin, Joliet, and Eastern in 2009, also referred to as the J, was very important for CN in managing its flow of traffic around the perimeter of Chicago. Can we start with a discussion about why the Chicago Rail Network is so complex? Thanks, Stacy. So Chicago is ground zero for the interchange of rail traffic between six of the seven Class 1 railroads in the U.S. CN, CP, BN, UP, CSX, and NS. In the U.S., over a quarter of all rail freight trains and one half of all intermodal trains pass through metropolitan Chicago. The region contains an estimated 3,900 track miles of rail, including more than 50 freight rail yards. So besides the multitude of interchange points for traffic between individual carriers, there are two belt lines, the Indiana Harbor Belt, known as the IHB or the Harbor, and the Belt Railway of Chicago, or BRC, or the Belt. These two beltways are owned among the Class 1s, with shares of the Belt owned by the six Class 1s that touch Chicago, and with shares of the Harbor owned by CSX, NS, and CP. These belt lines perform three key functions. First is intermediate switching, which is the exchange of rail cars from one carrier to another. BRC's busy clearing yard and IHB's Blue Island and Gibson yards are key here. Second, both belt lines act as toll roads to run over, with trackage rights granted to carriers who do not directly connect. And third, both belt lines deliver and pick up traffic for local industrial customers on behalf of the Class 1s. Adding to the complexity of the Chicago Rail Network is that there is a ton of passenger train traffic in Chicago. Some Amtrak, but mostly Chicago's publicly owned commuter train agency, Metra. Hundreds of thousands of passengers ride the rails in Chicago every day, with daily passenger traffic volume second only to New York. Around 800 passenger trains operate daily alongside 500 trains in Chicago. Passenger and freight trains share nearly 1,400 of the region's track miles, and a regional protocol stipulates that passenger rail traffic takes priority over rail freight. But how did Chicago become such a key rail hub in the United States? It's all about location. Chicago was well-situated as a key port for shipping on the Great Lakes, as well as a key hub for the movement of grain and livestock. Chicago was a big center for meatpacking back in the day, for example. Manufacturing was also huge in Chicago at the time, and these industries relied on railroads to move raw materials and processed products. Chicago was also an ideal point geographically for eastern and western carriers to come together to interchange freight traffic as well as passenger traffic. By the late 1850s, Chicago was served by 10 railroads, with more as time went on. Some of the great names of these old roads are the Milwaukee Road, the Rock Island Line, the Wabash, and of course the Illinois Central. These railroads converged on Chicago, and their lines radiated outward like spokes of a great wheel. Can you give some detail on how the EJ&E came to be? In the early 1880s, Philip Shumway's vision was to create an efficient belt line around the perimeter of Chicago, establish efficient connections between major carriers, and serve the industries of Chicago. Shumway and some investors created the Joliet and Indiana Railroad to extend from Joliet, Illinois, 50 miles southwest of downtown Chicago, east to the Indiana-Illinois state line, but financing failed to materialize. Shumway took another run at it a few years later, creating the Joliet, Aurora, and Northern Railroad to run 20 miles west from Joliet to the Mississippi and east to the Indiana state line. This venture also stalled. Shumway subsequently sought support of none other than J.P. Morgan to realize his dream. By 1889, the EJ&E had nearly 200 miles of track encircling Chicago, from Waukegan north of Chicago on the shore of Lake Michigan, through the northwestern suburb of Elgin, through Joliet in the southwest, then east to Gary, Indiana, southeast of Chicago, and also on Lake Michigan. J.P. Morgan, in turn, took full ownership and bought everybody out. And that's when things took off. U.S. Steel subsequently acquired the J in the early 1900s to support its business activities. 
J.P. Morgan acquired assets from both Andrew Carnegie, who was the largest steel producer in the U.S. at the turn of the century, as well as J.D. Rockefeller, to build out the huge company just like that. So, David, why was the EJ&E acquisition in 2009 so important for CN? Well, the acquisition allowed CN to link all five of our rail lines into one seamless system around the city. In doing so, our trains bypassed the congestion of inner-city corridors, creating an important competitive advantage for CN. CN is now least reliant on the belt lines, not only to transfer our traffic to other carriers, but also to run over their tracks. Our trains now move twice as fast around Chicago, giving us a minimum 24-hour advantage over the competition. In fact, the EJ&E slogan back in the day was, around, not through Chicago. CN completed the integration of the former EJ&E network by investing hundreds of millions of dollars on infrastructure improvements, such as connections, siding extensions, and signaling. CN also invested in upgrades to improve the capacity and efficiency of the former EJ&E's Kirkyard in Gary, Indiana, now our largest railcar classification and interchange yard in the U.S. Today, with approximately 25% of our freight traffic touching the city, CN is focused on improving network efficiencies to ensure the safe and efficient flow of freight and passenger trains through the Chicago area. Thanks for your time, David. And thank you for listening to Grain Insight, an update from CN.